Hello. We're considering some vital home truths again on Search for Truth. The Bible teaching, as usual, is led by our teacher, Brian Johnston, and we're delighted to have your company today, as always, and hope you find these Bible studies helpful and encouraging. You don't need to be told that good family relationships are very important for peace and harmony, as well as our general health. Reduced stress is always welcome in busy lives. One of the most pleasant things about living in harmony is the loving atmosphere it creates. And that's Brian's focus for his talk today. And here's Brian to tell us more. Thanks, John. Yes, in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, in the second chapter of the letter, he describes his pastoral care for the church at Thessalonica in terms of the love and care of parents for their families. We can learn from that analogy. Since Paul's behaviour towards the church at Thessalonica is held up as a good example, and since he compares it to the action of parents, we can take from it the broad outline of God's will for our family lives. Well, Paul, you may remember, began by saying in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7 that he'd been gentle among them, just like a nursing mother who cherishes her children. The main thought in cherishing is to warm. That's warming in the sense of meaning to, to brood or to foster. This thought of warmth links on with the next point when it says that Paul was affectionately desirous of the Thessalonians. The warmth that characterised his pastoral care for these Christian converts is described in terms of parental love. Back in the Old Testament, when God gave guidance to parents in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he prefaced his remarks by saying, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. What does this say to us? Isn't it this, that in family life the paramount thing is love for God? It's God's will that the lives of parents be permeated with love for him. And love for God will overflow into love for others too. We see and hear of the abuse of children within their own families and the cruel, bitter lives of youngsters in drug-ridden homes. The atmosphere in a Christian home, however, should be loving, demonstrating the type of tender affection for each other that Paul had for these Thessalonians. It recalls for me the touching tenderness of God's language towards Israel, called Ephraim in Hosea chapter 11, verse 3. God says, I taught Ephraim to walk. I took them in my arms. I led them with cords. Any parent can relate to God's description here of gently and tenderly assisting a toddler to take those first faltering steps with real affection and satisfaction and pleasure, the parent says, well done. That love has to be preserved lifelong through prayer. Sometimes it'll require to be tough love when correction needs to be applied. For read on in Hosea to find out how God's love isn't an indulgent, sentimental thing. Far from it. Hebrews 12 and verse 6 confirms that whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. The important thing for us is to imitate is that even in his disciplines, those disciplines are full of love. To summarise, what we are saying is God's love must be uppermost in family life. And we're saying that on the authority of Deuteronomy chapter 6. We need to put first what God 
puts first. If God doesn't have the first place in our lives, then our children will be quick to spot the hypocrisy when we attempt to teach them spiritual values. We need to pass down to our children a healthy reverence for God, as well as an attentive ear to obey his voice. When we keep the first and greatest command of loving God, we'll find that leads us to the second command about loving others, and who more natural to be the recipients of that love than those of our own families. On the subject of God's love in the home, I wonder, have you come across what's been called a mother's paraphrase of 1 Corinthians chapter 13? It's due to Diane, Lorang, and it goes like this. If I talk to my children about what is right and about what is wrong, but have not love, I'm like a ringing doorbell or pots banging in the kitchen. And though I know what stages they will go through and understand their growing pains and can answer all their questions about life and believe myself to be a devoted mother, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give up the fulfilment of a career to make my children's lives better and stay up all night sewing costumes or baking cookies on short notice, but grumble about lack of sleep, I have not love and accomplish nothing. A loving mother is patient with her children's immaturity and kind even when they are not. A loving mother is not jealous of their youth, nor does she hold it over their heads whenever she has sacrificed for them. A loving mother does not push her children into doing things her way. She's not irritable when the chicken pox has kept her confined with three whining children for two weeks and does not resent the child who brought the affliction home in the first place. A loving mother is not relieved when her disagreeable child finally disobeys her directly and she can punish him, but rather rejoices with him when he is being more cooperative. A loving mother bears much of the responsibility for her children. She believes in them. She hopes in each one's individual ability to stand out as a light in a dark world. She endures every backache and every heartache to accomplish that. A loving mother never really dies. As for home-baked bread, it will be consumed and forgotten. As for spotless floors, they will soon gather dust and heel marks. And as for children, well, right now, new toys, friends and food are all important to them. But when they grow up, it will have been how their mother loved them that will determine how they love others. In that way, she will live on. So care, training and a loving mother reside in a home, those three, but the greatest of these is a loving mother. That seems to me to be an interesting application of that tremendous chapter on the relevance of love to family life. It was Paul talking of his affection for the Thessalonian converts and making an analogy with parental love that was our starting point. Because of his affection for these believers, Paul, verse 8 says, was well pleased to impart to them not only the gospel of God, but his own life, because they'd become so very dear to him. Putting this another way, Paul and his fellow preachers lived transparent lives before their converts. They modelled or allowed others to see in themselves at first hand the same values they wished to instil through their teaching. It reminded me of Dorothy Law Nolte saying that if a child lives with criticism, 
he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns to have confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns appreciation. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. By imparting our own selves in many of these ways, a home can be filled with godly character traits, deep relationships, unfeigned faith and lasting memories, just like the homes of Eunice and Lois before her. 2 Timothy chapter 1, which gives us this glimpse of the family background of Timothy, only serves to emphasise further the kind of spiritual legacy it can produce with God's help. Now, some parents would say they'd done their best, and yet their children have gone away from the Lord. Does this reflect on the training they gave? No, that doesn't necessarily follow at all. Some parents who live exemplary Christian lives don't always see the spiritual progress they long for in their children's lives. That's why in commenting a moment ago on Timothy's family background, we spoke about the kind of spiritual legacy it can produce by God's help. There's simply no formula and there are no guarantees. Increasingly, the burden of responsibility shifts from the parents to the children themselves. When God is pictured as a parent in Hosea chapter 11, or Isaiah chapter 1, there can be no doubt who's at fault for Israel's waywardness. It could only be Israel that's to blame. When Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, even when he is old he will not depart from it, that's not a guaranteed promise or invariable rule. It's a general principle. Now, going back to the point we were making about the need to impart more than words of instruction, but also our own values, our own selves, which had been Paul's example, again it recalls Deuteronomy chapter 6. That section on God's family guidance we've referred to a couple of times already. Verse 6 says, These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. How important that is! Just as parents' hearts are to be permeated with God's love, here we have another fundamental principle for our life at home. There's little chance of children becoming gripped by God's word and the reality of God if their parents don't display it. The hearts of parents are to be captivated with the truth of God and of his word. So many things are caught by our children rather than explicitly taught to them. If we say Christianity is very important, but don't go to church, they'll actually learn that Christianity isn't important. The same will apply and happen if we teach the importance of faith, but then worry about everything ourselves. If we piously talk about taking our problems to the Lord, but then make our own independent decisions, again the effect will be opposite to what's desired. If we say money isn't very important, but then ourselves live materialistically, it'll be very unlikely they'll get the message. Imparting our own selves to them is also a costly thing in terms of time. 
The old adage about quality time being more important than quantity time is probably not as true as we'd like to believe when we lead busy lives. Maybe we can watch their favourite TV programme with them and use it as a discussion topic to debrief them on any media message that's been put over. I think it's extremely important to expose whatever values aren't biblical values, especially when sinful behaviours like violence and immorality are being glamorised on the screen. Lord, the Lord God thy heart and voice all your mind and love all of mankind as you would love yourselves and love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and mind and love all mankind with God Christian lives to live with God Jesus love to give with God nothing to hide because in him we are Right, I hope you're enjoying this series of talks and there's uh, the free digital e-book, uh, I'll remind you, which accompanies this series, which can be yours for the asking if you write in. Now, you can do it by post or email. Just write and ask for Vital Home Truths. And uh, our postal address is Search for Truth, Hayes Press, The Barn, Flaxlands, Royal Wotton Bassett, Swindon, SN48DY UK. Our email address is sft at churchesofgod.info. Now, I'm delighted once again to have enjoyed the pleasure of your company today, so thanks for tuning in. Time's gone now, but I look forward to your company again next week if you're able to join us. And until then, it's cheerio and very best wishes from Brian, David, and me, John. So see you soon, and in the meantime, may God richly bless you. Lord your God with all your heart, and all your soul and all your mind, and love all of mankind as you would love yourselves and love. Lord your God with your heart, and all your soul and your mind, and love all of mankind as you would love yourselves and love. Rest in Lord your God, Jesus all your heart. Jesus, love to give with God. Nothing to hide because in Him we are born.